What is up, people? You are listening to New Generation Sports Talk. I am your host, EJ Stewart, and we have a great show lined up for you guys today. We'll be talking plenty of NFL. We are, of course, in the middle of training camp. I know it's been a while since we last been on the show, but we'll be talking all the stuff happening in the NFL. We have the Deshaun Watson ruling that literally came down on the same day we are recording this podcast, so that should be a very interesting conversation, to say the least. We'll also be talking about Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, not quite happy with his wide receivers at the start of training camp. He talked about it. You'll hear from Aaron Rodgers in a little bit. We'll also talk about Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson, quarterback for the Jets, came back from uh, knee surgery. We was There was concern that he had a more severe, severe, significant injury, perhaps an ACL injury. That is not the case. He only has a torn meniscus and a bone bruise. He's expected to be back. In about two to four weeks, me and uh, my guests here will discuss exactly what we can expect from the Jets if Zach Wilson cannot be out there for week one. And you know we love college football on this show. We talk college football a bunch, so we'll be talking plenty of college football as the preseason top 25 poll came out uh, today for the AP or this week for the AP. So we'll talk about our impressions with that. So Great show lined up for you guys for you guys today. Really excited to do this one. Joining me is my co-host, it is not Kendall Stewart. It is actually Shamari Stewart. So Shamari, what's up, dude? Welcome to the pod. What's up, EJ? Glad to be here. Uh filling in for Kendall. Um, you know, so of course you know, Kendall uh, won't be on as much talking football, but I'm glad to be here. Um uh, talking football with you and uh, very excited for this NFL season, college football season. And uh, yeah, happy to fill in and uh, give my thoughts on some of these, some of this stuff. Yeah. Let, yeah let's, 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 let's get to that point. Cause I want to make an announcement here. Shamari alluded to just now. Kendall's not here, obviously. Now Kendall is not left new generation or anything like that. So you don't got to freak out. Um, but obviously you guys know, if you listen to the sports talk on this podcast network, you know, it's that Kendall and I usually co-host the show that has not changed, but and, and, and you should be happy for Kendall. He is taking on a new role um, and a new job that is in sports and doesn't allow him to really provide commentary on professional football. It's a great gig for him. I know he's super excited. He's been super excited. He's been doing it now for about a month or so. Uh, we don't want to divulge exactly what he is doing. At least he doesn't want us to yet. I would love to brag about what he's doing. Um but because of that, uh, we, we want to you know want to keep his integrity, obviously, with his new gig and our integrity on the show with our commentary not being biased in any way. So Shamari is joining on the show this week, and you'll hear Shamari a lot during football season as we talk about all the things happening in both the NFL and college football. And you'll have another other rotating guest that will come in, people that I know from uh, my job, people you've heard on this podcast probably in the past. So. You'll get plenty of new generation sports talk. It's not going to be damped down in any way. Kendall's not there. Uh, we'll have other guests every week. And also, remember, basketball season's in the fall, too. And Kendall is not at all uh, restricted from uh, talking about hoops. And you know hoops is our bread and butter on this podcast. So Kendall will be in that rotation of people who come on during this uh, during this football season because he'll be on in weeks where we kind of focus more on basketball. So programming note. For you guys, uh, for this show and for the foreseeable future with what we're going on, but we're really excited for Kendall. I know he's excited 
for this new kind of uh, venture we're doing with Sports Talk, where it becomes EJ versus a, a different group of people, or you know, Shamari being one of the main recurring people. But it should be fun. It should be exciting. I'm excited to talk about this uh, stuff that happened this week. So let's get it started. So let's begin with Deshaun Watson. So the NFL and Watson reached an agreement on a settlement to settle his discipline related to the sexual misconduct charges involving numerous massage therapists. Now, Watson's suspension will be now increased to 11 games and the Browns QB will have to pay a $5 million fine. Penalty is more severe than the ruling handed down by Judge Sue Robinson, who elected to only give Watson a six-game ban. The NFL appealed that decision but came to an agreement with Watson prior to former New Jersey Attorney General uh, Peter Harvey's final ruling on the matter. The settlement essentially puts a cap on Deshaun Watson's story from a league discipline standpoint. And Watson did speak to the media today and as part of the new and improved uh, New Generation Sports Talk podcast, um, I'm actually able to play sound for you guys now on this show. So here is Deshaun Watson talking about the suspension and where he plans to take things on from here. Yeah, I'm moving I'm moving on with my career and my life, and I'm continuing to stand on my innocence. Just because, you know, settlements and things like that happen doesn't mean that a person is, is guilty for anything. I feel like the person has the opportunity to stand on his innocence and prove that, and we prove that on the legal side, and we're just going to continue to push forward as an individual and as a person. Deshaun Watson standing on his innocence. So, Sham, you hear Deshaun Watson, you filed this case for a long time, and now you see this final settlement and final ruling on the matter, Watson, 11-game suspension, $5 million fine. Do you think the NFL was right to agree to these parameters for discipline for Deshaun Watson? I do. I, th- I think this 11-game this, this suspension seems much more fitting. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, so... So full disclosure, of course, I'm of the opinion that when when this this um, these amounts, the, uh, just the flooding of allegations, it's hard to believe that nothing was wrong. <laughs> right, right. Um, nothing wrong was done from Deshaun, and it's just, this is just allegations just out of left field from everybody. It's just it's hard for me to believe, right? Similar to, of course, Bill Cosby and everything that happened with that, and you know, not to say that it's this exact same situation, but it just has that kind of same kind of just where is this coming from? It just has that, that same kind of energy. Um, so, um, so yeah, I mean, I can't, I, I'm not, I can't, I definitely can't disagree with, with the NFL's ruling here. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, Watson had his day in court, you know, in the United States, you're innocent until proven guilty, et cetera, so on and so forth. He's, you know, claiming his innocence. It's, of course, fine. He has the right to do that. Um, but the NFL had to make a ruling, and I think they made a just. Uh, I think they. I think they. They came to a, a good, a just uh, conclusion. I know the NFL, um, just based on everything that I've heard from Roger Goodell in the league in the past few years, they're trying to definitely emphasize, um, you know, social justice issues and and uh, you know, diversifying its workforce and the fan base and make sure they try to cater to more people and giving out kind of slap on the wrist punishments for serious uh, situations like this, which they still do to be totally honest, they could still be more right, severe right. with a lot of other people in the league, but this is at least a start to, okay, yes, this, this seems, 
um, like a real this seems like a real blow to Watson and the Browns. So um, so, yeah, I think I think this is this is uh, I think this is a good suspension. Yeah, I'll be yeah. honest. I think I'm on the flip side of this for me. I think for mm-hmm. me, when I look at this, uh, I don't think that this was uh, the the penalty that, quote unquote, fit the crime. I think we heard that the NFL was looking for a suspension up to a year. And I think given the severity of the allegations and the numerous allegations, I think that they had every right to pursue that. I think the reason why we landed on 11 games and this $5 million fine was essentially that the NFL was going to face a massive lawsuit from Watson and, I don't know if the Browns would have been involved with that, but definitely Watson, who would have made the case that how could you suspend me for a year for allegations where there were no criminal charges and it was investigated by, you know, the I believe all the cases were in Texas. Don't forgive me if there were other cases. There were, you know, this was a, a very this was a criminally investigated case and there was a civil case that ended up ended in settlements but no rulings on his innocence or guilty you know stature so how could you give me a year suspension and what would have happened when that happened is you know he could have got a stay on the suspension that would have allowed him to play the start of the season and then you got this lawsuit hanging over the nfl's head as he's playing in games and who knows how that shakes out and the nfl may not have felt like they had the ground to stand on to win that kind of lawsuit the Shield is never afraid of a fight. We know that from the various, various decades of history we've seen with the NFL fighting people in court, including their own employees. So the fact that the NFL was that concerned to me that they wouldn't stand on their ground of getting a full season tells me that they thought that for some reason they couldn't win that. And that's a little unfortunate because we've seen them fight Brady over like deflated footballs. We've seen them fight Al Davis over petty issues. Like this is a very serious matter. And the idea that they were so afraid of litigation that they landed on 11 games, that's not that's not suitable for me. It is a significant suspension. I don't want to make it sound like he got nothing. Like, the six games was just absurd. That was absurd. And I think Watson even knew it was absurd because he, as soon as they knew that they were going to appeal, he's like, all right, I'll take eight. Like, he's already, <laughs> he was already saying, yo, I'll take more games than this because I admit maybe, right, maybe a little, maybe a maybe little, a little. short. But... I still think when you had a chance to get him for a year and send a message to you, to to all the people and to women, particularly women uh, who are fans and women who work in the NFL, that you, know, you really have a, a a real stance against this kind of behavior. I think the NFL dropped the ball because I think to me, had they not had they decided, you know what, the six game suspension, we can't, we don't want to appeal it or whatever, and that would have been a terrible message too. But if they just left it at the six games and said that we're not going to do anything with it, I almost feel like, I don't want to say they come off better, but in some ways I think they come off even a little worse now because the whole point was that, oh, this six games is a sham, and, well, we're going to come back, and we're really going to lay the hammer on him. And then it's only 11. Like, you added five games. Okay. Okay, you gave him more games, but it wasn't a full season. The fine is good. I think he, you know, because of the way the, the Browns finagled that stupid contract to where even a season-long suspension would have been like $300,000, something crazy. Because he's like, from base salary, he's making like no bread this season. 
I, okay, five million dollars. I, I think that's a good. That's a definitely. It's got to be one of the largest fines for a player in NFL history. But you know the the amount of gains we're seeing. I don't know. I just don't think this is a person we really need to see on the field this year at all. Um, but but the NFL clearly didn't feel like they had the grounds is down that, and they uh they folded. That's how I take it. So I so I I so I I hear what you're saying. So we we of course are in agreement that we believe something nefarious happened. So I'm definitely not going to argue that that Sean should have gotten less or anything along those lines. Um, I think, I think just for me, I think it just stands in such stark contrast to the many guys that we've seen get literally nothing. That's true. Um, guys doing horrendous things on camera or on audio or, you know, whatever arrested, all these kinds of crazy things and nothing happens. Um, so, I mean, my hope is that this is a trend that we start to see, you know, more of these people getting charged or or people or not people getting charged, more people getting suspended and getting actual punishments that are really affecting the team. Like the Browns aren't going to do anything this season. Um, so I'm kind of I'm not even going to watch most of their games. Um, so it's so, I mean, this is really going to affect the Browns. So absolutely. You know, so I mean, this is like a this is a, this I'd say this is a significant organizational punishment um, as well, which Deshaun Watson is supposed to be is supposed to be some kind of big piece of this organization. He's not doing nothing this year, so yeah, I, I so still that's, that's, that's the point. That's the part of this I think is interesting. Yeah. So in your in your eyes, the eleven games is significant enough. From and, and trust me, people, we all understand there's way more to this than football. But yeah. moving this this conversation to football. You do feel like eleven games for this guy means that the Brown season is essentially over. Yes, hundred percent. Yeah, the, their season's over. Uh for um uh for multiple reasons. So they are in they're not in I don't think they're in an easy division. Um and definitely, definitely not. You know, I think without Deshaun, they're they may be the worst team in the division. And it's it's Especially considering how they played last year, um, I don't know. I mean, and and yeah. So I just I, I don't. I think this team is going to be hurting this year. I don't see them doing well this year without Deshaun for most of the season. And you know, of course, Baker's already gone. Um, so this is, you know, if you're a Browns fan, this is. I don't think this is something you really want to hear. Uh, that they're good. That Deshaun is. You're not going to see him for most of the season. So, um, yeah, I think I think they're punting. I would imagine most Browns fans are seeing this as a punt season mm-hmm. as well. We're just like, all right, so who who are we looking at next year? And uh, you know, yeah, I just think I think that's I think that's kind of I think that's what's what's going on here. So an eleven game suspension essentially means he'll be out for twelve weeks because there is a bye week in amidst that right that that suspension. It will it will return him to be eligible to play Sunday, December fourth against guess who, his old team, the Houston Texans. And I'll I'll I don't want to put on my tinfoil hat jam, but I've already kind of told you my displeasure with the NFL with this suspension. Eleven is such a random number. Like it's not an even number. Like why I don't know how you land on eleven. Uh, a part of me wonders, yo, did the NFL think, yo, if we're gonna bring this guy back, at least let's get a great number on this game that he's coming back on let's get the best number possible and what's the best number you can get possible on a deshaun watson return game 
ironically, they have a lot of very interesting games on their schedule. The Browns do not have an easy schedule this year. Even you could argue maybe the week before Tampa, with Tampa Bay would be a big return. That would have been a ten game suspension. But putting it on Houston almost makes it look intentional that they're trying to make the best out of a bad situation, which kind of doesn't rub me the right way. But when you talk about the the football aspect of this and the Brown season being over, I'm a little I'm a little torn. I mean, the the, the difficulty of the schedule does make me feel like okay, this is gonna be rough because I'm you would think that in order for the Browns to still make the playoffs. In the with Watson missing the first eleven games, you can't go worse than five and six, and that's like the worst I think, right? Like you can't go you can't worse go than, worse five, than six. five and six. Yes, absolutely. Like the hope has got to be that you can get into the playoffs at nine and eight or ten and seven, and that's not even guaranteed. But that's the hope you would think that as a wild card you can get in at nine and eight, so or ten and seven. So that would mean you would come into the Houston part of the schedule not having to really really you really have no net at that point you have to run the table or lose maybe one at most two games they would finish the year with at houston at cincy a home against baltimore home against new orleans at washington at pittsburgh it's a bit of a mixed bag but it's not a cakewalk i'm not gonna say that that's the toughest way to end the season um you do have three division opponents, and you, we both mentioned, I agree, that this is a tough, tough division. I think the division actually may be a little better than it was last year because I think Baltimore, well, Pittsburgh may take a step back, but I think Baltimore will be much better. So I think it will be, again, maybe a mixed bag. Um, but they even got New Orleans in there. I think New Orleans could be a, a, a dangerous team this season. So I think you're probably right that this puts them out of contention, but I feel like Cleveland and Deshaun, I think I think I don't think they feel your sense of pessimism. I think they look at this and say, "Okay, eleven games is bad, but it's not the whole season, and it would give him time to come back at a point in the season that would be relevant. It would only be irrelevant if they just throw up on themselves in the first twelve weeks. If they just if they're you know uh, so it's eleven, if they're three and eight or four and seven, like they're not making the playoffs. The season's over and. I would argue, I don't know if I'd put him out there if I was Cleveland, to be honest, if it got that bad. Because at that point, why are you playing him in meaningless games? But, again, if they can float around 500, I think it has to be their goal. I mean, the, the, the they start the season, the first four teams they play, three of them didn't make the playoffs last year. Carolina, the Jets, Pittsburgh, who did make the playoffs, that game's at home, and then they're at Atlanta. I mean, most people think the Jets and Falcons are going to be two of the worst teams in the NFL. I don't know how excited people are with Carolina. That's going to be a very fascinating game facing Baker Baker Mayfield potentially if he does win out that job in Carolina. But I think if, if they can survive the first half of this, if they if they got to really start off strong, they got to win at least two of them first four games. If they can get three, that'd probably be even better. And once you get that first two, it, then that's where the schedule gets tough. Because you're talking about the Chargers, the Patriots, the, the the Ravens, the Bengals, and a bye week until you get Miami and Buffalo. So, and then Tampa Bay. And then that's when you get the Houston part. So, that to me, that first month of the season is really going to make a break, Cleveland. If they can start out 3-1 and one with Jacoby Brissett starting at QB, or maybe it's Jimmy Garoppolo potentially, then I think they're in pretty decent shape to at least get two more games to put them in 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 play 
if they start out two and two or they got they go start one and three it's over then because that schedule gets way tough once october hits and it's gonna be lights out for them but um yeah i don't know it's i, I feel bad first of all shout out to all the um the uh, victims um and the accusers who are you know probably aren't having a, they haven't had a good day really since this whole ordeal has started probably when they met Deshaun watson um, but of course, shout out to them. Our prayers to them. Shout out to all the women who are, are seeing this and are disgusted by the fact that Sean Watson is still going to have a career and can still play. I know this cannot be an easy day for you. And just shout out to all all people affected by, you know, sexual assault and sexual misconduct. Um, it was very alarming to hear. I don't know if you saw. I don't have the soundbite, Sham, but when you know when Watson tried to explain why he apologized, he was like, "Well, I know people were triggered by." the allegations and it's just like man it's tough i don't know i'm so, I, I i just don't i know it's like i i don't know how you feel sham i know in some instances it's like oh well we need to hold him accountable by making him answer questions i just don't need to hear him talk about this anymore i i just feel like he doesn't give me much the, that apology he gave was bizarre and then today he's like i'm standing on my innocence like I just, I, I don't know. I just don't think he's really providing much other than fodder for people to be upset about. And, you know, it kind of just is what it is. It's, it's, but, but, you know, hearing him today and it didn't make anything, didn't make me feel any better about what happened. If there was any chance I could say, well, at least he's got 11 games. We won't see him for a long time. Hearing him hearing say, I'm standing on my, on innocence, my innocence and I got to do what's best for Deshaun Watson in third person. So it was just like, yeah, please go away. I don't need to hear from you for a while. Yeah, I mean, once when when it comes to news like this, once it gets to a certain point, I just tune it out. I haven't I haven't paid attention to much regarding Deshaun Watson since it's it's similar to and it's it's not similar. This is worse, but it reminds me of the whole Vic situation when everyone was just it's just like eventually I'm just like look, he did this. It's horrible and. <laughs> like, like, you know, is something? Are they gonna convict him? Like, what? It gets to a point where it's like, it's just so much. It's just such horrible news. You know, you just can't. You just eventually, you just kind of just like, oh boy. You know, it's just, it's just negativity all around. And, and hearing stuff, him, what do you do? Because you know, him. what do you do? Because we're, we're, you know, we care about this stuff exactly, and and yeah. we oh, love football, yeah. obviously. So it's like, it's like you can't turn away, but then. You feel like you have to just for your own mental safety. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's like, oh boy, you know, like, so, you know, and like you said, you know, I, you know, I echo your sentiments, of course. Any, any victims of, of, um, you know, really any kind of, um, any women who are victim of of uh, violence, um, you know, it's, it's it's horrible, and, um, you know, I'm sure this whole ordeal is very uncomfortable. Um, so, you know, yeah, all I can do is kind of, kind of just, just, uh, hope that this isn't an enabling kind of punishment. And to your point, to your point though, Shem, I will say, well, again, I I disagreed with the fact that 11 was enough. I do agree that I don't, I do think that this was, this did raise eyebrows for players. I think right. we don't you don't see guys get and double team. digit double digit and teams yeah getting double digit game suspensions for a lot of things. So this wasn't nothing. Maybe it wasn't enough, but it wasn't nothing. 
So I do agree that this kind of sets a new standard for player discipline moving forward, where I feel like now there was a time where I think we all kind of thought that not a lot was really on the table in terms of a year-long suspension or a really, really long suspension. Now I feel like everything's on the table because of this whole ordeal. And if there's anything that comes out of this, that's good. Maybe it's that. But let's move forward. And let's talk about a team Shamari knows very well, which is why he's the perfect person to have this podcast today. Let's talk about the Packers. So Aaron Rodgers and the Packers' new receiving core are already struggling to get on the same page, according to the four-time MVP. Early in the week, Rodgers said the new guys were making too many mistakes, like running wrong routes, lining up in the right, lining up in the wrong spots, dropping passes during training camp, and that that needs to get fixed. And you don't believe me? Here's Aaron Rodgers himself talking about those mistakes. It's coming up. Yeah, it's coming up. It really is. Uh, we're going to play our best guys you know, when the season starts. Um, and whoever those guys are, those guys are going to get the reps. And it's the guys I trust the most and the guys that the coaching staff trust the most. And a lot of it is just this simple responsibility in the offense. You know, it, it, way before, you know, body positioning and movement and the throw and all that stuff it's are you doing are you in the right spot at the right time you know are you run the right route um i feel really bad for jordan and i because you know we had a couple you know total mental busts we had a drop for a pick we had you know two guys run who knows what on the third one i should have thrown the ball there probably but some of that's veteran stuff making veteran mistakes so we're gonna we're gonna shift that perspective a little slight slight adjustment here moving forward because it's it's getting close to that time where it's gonna count and I need guys out there I can trust. So that was Aaron Rodgers saying he needs guys out there that he can trust, and what he saw in that preseason game was unacceptable in his eyes. I know Shamar, you were tuned in to what the Packs were doing in preseason and in training camp, and he said the guys who are doing the right thing will play. And the guys who won't, we'll see what happens to you. Now, they had to have a meeting with Rodgers along with the other two quarterbacks and the receivers to kind of clear the air, to iron out any lapses in communication. And Rodgers in that meeting by the receivers that were there was described as encouraging, that he was you know trying to pump these guys up and just trying to let them know that the standard for wide receiver play at Green Bay is much higher than it is in other places. So perhaps him trying to kind of, you know, use, you know, the uh, use the stick, but then also give them the carrot in behind closed doors. So interesting commentary from Aaron Rodgers to, in my opinion, at least Shamari, you're the Packers fan on the podcast. Are you concerned about the Packers passing game amid these comments from Rodgers about the lack of readiness, quite frankly, by the receiving core? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm absolutely concerned. Um, I think that is, I would imagine that's a primary concern for most Packers fans as well, which is why, of course, this is not what we want to hear. Um, well, just in terms of, of, you know, Aaron just being like, this is not working, right? What we're doing right now is not working. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is, I'll say this is good to, to okay, first preseason game. Okay, yes. Now we got to polish all that stuff up, right? So this is kind of where you want to, if you were to ever hear this, this is the time you'd want to hear it. Um, but, you know, you still don't want to hear this. You know, like this is not where you want to be, especially after, you know, kind of clearing out your wide receiver room and, and you know, 
you don't, and you're left with kind of hoping that the rookies, uh, like Romeo Dobbs, who looks great, I, yeah, I, to yeah. be completely honest, he looks like a star. Um, but you're kind of relying on 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 people like that, and uh, you know, hoping Christian Watson uh, turns out to be really good, and and uh, you know, hoping Sammy Watkins turns out to be you know <laughs> better than uh, better than how he's looked before. So yeah. you're just like relying on on um, you know when you're relying you're totally relying on guys like that, and. Uh, really, quite frankly, just expecting them to play beyond what they've the ability or what they've shown before. Um, that's hard. It's just it's it's hard. Um, I think Romeo Dobbs will be okay. He's he has hands. He he has some hands. So I'm expecting him to be okay. But um, but yeah, I mean, if guys are running the wrong routes and stuff, that I mean, that's stuff you you never want to hear. So it's a concern. It's a concern. Um, hopefully. Hopefully Aaron's able to work with them or work with them, kind of work those kinks out and and uh, you know kind of kind of get them straight by week one. Yeah, I'll be yeah, honest, I'll be honest Sam. I, I heard these comments from Aaron Rodgers and I felt zero pity for him. And here's why: Aaron Rodgers has no one to blame but himself for the issues the Packers receivers are having with beat, dropping the ball, with not being in the right spots, and not being prepared because. Like I've said on this podcast before, Aaron Rodgers had a choice that Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and so many other quarterbacks before him have had in the twilight of their career. You can either leave some money on the table so that your team can acquire top-notch receivers or retain top-notch receivers like a Devontae Adams, or you could decide, I'm the best player in the NFL, I deserve to be the most paid with the most guaranteed money, so give it all to me. And you figure out the rest of how you put the drops together. Well, when you give them that choice, that's where you get Sammy Watkins and Randall Cobb starting at receiver. That's what happens. And for now, him to sit here and say, oh, well, I don't understand why these young guys don't get it and why we're not playing much better on offense. Well, you could have took less money so they could have kept uh, uh, Devontae Adams. You could have took less money so that maybe they could have found a better replacement for Devontae Adams if, if Adams decided that he just didn't want to come back, which in some instances, that kind of is what it sounds like. Like, it didn't have to be this hard for Aaron Rodgers. And shout out to Ryan Hickey from CBS Sports Radio because he made, I thought, a decent point last night in that Rodgers also decided not to do, do any OTAs that were voluntary. Now, they're voluntary. And, you know, it's it's a it's a it's, it's weeks of, of of time to work together. It's not like a full training camp. And he was at minicamp. So that's only, you know, a couple of days where you're together. But look, again, he made that choice. He decided that he wanted to go into the mountains and get tattoos and drink weird drinks. And I'm, I know he was watching film and working out during that time, too. But that's what he wanted to do <laughs> instead of being in Green Bay working with these receivers that he knew was going to need more training. They were going to need more preparation for the season because they're brand new. So I don't, I don't even fault Rogers for saying what he said. Cause I don't deny that there is a real sense of urgency that needs to be had. I'm sure these guys are screwing up. We saw them screw up in the preseason game, as he said, but it didn't have to be this hard. Do I think this means that, Oh, there's no way the Packers can go out there and, and light it up this year or Rogers can't, have another great season? No, because there is time between now and the pre and the regular season. 
And we've seen even Aaron with his regular receivers struggle early in the season. Like, you remember a couple years ago when they, they played New Orleans and Jacksonville in that weird road game that was a home game that was all bizarre for the Saints because they had a, a terrible hurricane. And then they got beat like 33 or something crazy like that. Like, we've seen them struggle early in the season. And, you know, Rodgers has told us to R-E-L-A-X, relax. So I don't want to make too much out of this. But I just thought for me, listening to this, it kind of goes to what I think of Aaron is that sometimes he's kind of he he, he sometimes lacks self awareness of, of the situations at hand and why Foresight. certain things come about and foresight right exactly so that that's my issue with with these comments I don't know what what do you think of that take that Aaron is in some ways to blame for these issues yeah I mean he's absolutely partially responsible um, I mean I was saying that one that when that Devontae Adams situation happened and when his contract happened we're like well hold on a second you know like who <laughs> why, why you gotta take take that much you know so it, it it kind of is what it is um you know Devontae adams seems to be having like a renaissance moment with him going back to david to, to uh to Derek carr and and uh you know i'm sure he, he looks looking like he's gonna light it up this season um and uh, you know Valdez Scantling is out yucking it up with with Mahomes yep, yep. and the Chiefs, so he's he's looks like he's gearing up to have a good season. So I mean, this is what happens. You know, there's not much really else to be said about it. Um, you know, it's just it's, it's I don't know. You know, you kind of wish you kind of wish he had that kind of awareness or the or, or and honestly, part I think he's aware. I just don't think he cares. At this oh, yeah. stage in his career, which, you know, you're looking at retirement, you're looking at, okay, who's the next guy? You know, is it Jordan Love? Is it not Jordan Love? Who is it? You know, because, I mean, this is this is like really tail end of your career, just kind of living it up, doing whatever you want kind of behavior, which, I mean, whatever, it says life, you know, but, you know, it's definitely not team behavior. <laughs> so, um, you know. I mean, we'll see. I'm sure he'll try his best out there when he's playing, of course. But you know, it's like you know, are we trying to win a Super Bowl? You know, we got to we got to make sacrifices to win the Super Bowl. So we'll see how these guys do. I think we have a lot of young. I think we have young. I think we have young talent at receiver. Romeo Dobbs was great. I like what I, what I saw from Christian Watson just in, in terms of his his college play. And so I'm, you know, I think I think this could be a little better than than people even suspect mm-hmm. um but there's still a lot there's a lot of talent in the nfl so we just gotta see how it goes and the one thing i will say as well is i think i think you're right to kind of hype up the rookies in terms of their importance to this because at this point we know what randall cobb's cobb is we know what sammy watkins is we know what alan lazard are those are serviceable <laughs> but marginal marginal players you know what i'm saying so if the Packers are going to reach their ceiling, which for them I think they believe to be a Super Bowl potentially, it's going to have to be these young guys stepping up and 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 balling out in a way that maybe, like you said, people aren't expecting. And that could happen. I don't know how many times we've seen receivers who weren't drafted in the first round come in in their first year and catch for a thousand yards or make the Pro Bowl. Like Romeo Dobbs, everybody that's been, you know, you you've been closer than I am, but even what I've been reading. By the Packers, everybody's been raving about how this Dobbs kids look. 
Um, there was a lot of excitement for the draft drafting of Christian Watson in the second round. So let's see how those guys do. Um, I also feel like this is going to probably be, especially early on, a more run-heavy Packers team than maybe we've seen in the past. I think that you'll see the Packers rely more on Jones, more on Dylan, until the receivers kind of catch up to speed uh, early in the season. That's why it's going to be important to get their offensive line straightened out too because if they're going to be able to run the ball effectively, it's going to start up front. So Packers, definitely an interesting team to keep our eyes on, as they always are, as long as Aaron Rodgers is under center. But let's move over uh, to another team, and we talked about Shamari's team, and it will not be talking about my team in the NFL, uh, the New York Jets. Because the Jets avoided a catastrophe last week when the MRI on Zach Wilson's knee revealed he did not suffer significant damage after leaving the team's preseason opener against the Eagles with an early uh, injury in that game. Wilson had arthroscopic surgery this week to repair a minor torn meniscus and is expected to be back in two to four weeks. He's also dealing with a bone bruise in that knee. When asked whether Wilson would be ready uh, for week one against the uh, Baltimore Ravens, here is what Robert Sala had to say. We're, we're going to take it's it's exactly what we've said. We're going to we're going to it's it's really going to dictate on how he feels and when he's ready to go. We're going to be. We're going to make sure we do right by him in terms of making sure that he's 100% healthy. Um, whenever that is, that's when he'll hit the field. So you hear it right there. It's essentially going to be whenever he's ready to play. So that doesn't necessarily mean that that will be week one. It's just going to be a matter of Wilson's ability to rehab and prepare for playing in real NFL regular season games. So Joe Flacco right now is taking the current uh, first team reps, and he is expected to get the call if Wilson is not ready. So, Sham, from your perspective, how long do you feel the Jets can afford to miss Wilson and still have a productive season? Because while other people outside of New York or outside of the Jets world may laugh about the Jets having a productive season, I think there was a lot of optimism for this Jets season, given what they've been in the past, you know, really honestly, 10 years, but even definitely the last four or five years where they've just been non-competitive football. I think with some of the additions they had in the draft, and in the offseason, there was hope that the Jets could take a major step forward. How much of that could be lost if Wilson's gone for a while? Um, so honestly, I so look, I mean, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna keep it real. He didn't look good before he got hurt. Of course, Absolutely. he threw that he threw that pick, and you were just like, here we. I think every New Yorker, every you know Jets. <laughs> Jets fans, like, here we go again. When he, he throws that pick, you're like, oh, my goodness. And it's just like, he's just the flashback to last year and just looking at the draft and you're looking at, okay, so who's going to be available next year? I mean, it's like, wow, you know, like, oh, boy. Um, so I think they could have gone a few weeks at least, you know, like, because he didn't look good. He looked like, you know, the same kind of deer in headlights kind of thing. So um, it's good news that that this isn't that this isn't a very serious um, this isn't a very serious injury, ACL tear or anything like that. Um, so, you know, he'll be back and, you know, I'm sure he's he's excited and everything. But, you know, he's going to have to really, really work on just his decision making um like that's going to be a big problem. That's going to be a big, 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 big issue. Um, but yeah, this was a scare for Jets fans. This was a scare 
you know, I like EJ. I know you you were just saying you couldn't believe it. I remember when it happened. I, I didn't. I did not move from the same spot on my couch <laughs> for the entire. I didn't move until the third quarter. I was just that despondent after that oh, injury. Man, yeah, it's just boy. You know, like even I was like, even I was like, jeez, boy, he's oh, boy. The it's a non-contact knee injury. I mean, like those kind of things almost certainly result in season over. Yeah. And yeah. thankfully for the Jets and thankfully for young Zach Wilson, that was not the case. But, oh, that was the worst. That was the worst thing you could have seen. And then to add on to that, you have Makai Becton season over days earlier uh, with a chipped uh, knee, uh, kneecap. Uh, so, like, you lose Makai Becton, and there was really a lot of excitement about him, even though there was a lot of concern about what kind of shape he was in. He came in in great shape, and he looked good early on in camp, and then he goes out. So no Beckton, and you see Wilson go down. And honestly, I'm just questioning everything at that point as a Jeff fan. I'm questioning my own existence. I'm questioning why the football gods have cursed us in this way. So when mm-hmm. we'll, you hear the news that Wilson, hey, it might not be as bad, it was a big sigh of relief because it was, it was scary hours for a while. Yeah. And even looking at the Jets' schedule, they have a, they have a very tough schedule. So They uh, do. This is a, that's a tough schedule. So it's going to be tough sledding for the Jets this year. Um, they do, yeah, it is. He's very tough sledding. Zach, I mean, if he's gonna have, he's gonna quote unquote prove himself this year. He's gonna have to uh, get quite a few upsets against some of these teams. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's funny. I'm lo- I'm so glad you already mentioned how Zach looked before the injury because I think that has really gotten lost in the injury. And yeah. there is that guy or person, it could be any gender, obviously, who will say, "Oh, it's preseason. Don't go crazy." Blah blah. Okay, fine. But maybe if I didn't see how he looked last year, that wouldn't right. have been concerning. Like, if he looked really good last year for most of the season, or even if he really – and I, I think, honestly, I've heard this, Sham, I don't know how much you've heard this. I've heard people say, yo, he played great down the stretch. I don't think he played great down the stretch. Right. I thought he had a great game against That'd Tampa. Great. I think great is, a, is an example. Yeah. He had a, I mean, there were games they won he didn't look good. Like, that <laughs> game against Houston, he looked terrible, and then they just won. Like, he played better. Because he couldn't play much worse the way he started. He played better, and he had great moments and one great game. Again, I would say against Tampa, I thought he was legitimately great. But I would say he played better down the stretch. I wouldn't say he played great. So when I take in totality what I saw last season, which was missing easy throws, forcing into double coverage, not seeing the defense well, not seeming to have a great grasp of the playbook, and I see that first drive, first throw, overthrow to a guy wide open on the out. Second throw, pick to a guy underneath where he doesn't even see the linebacker waiting on the route. Like, that's what I saw from him last year. And that was in two throws, two, three throws. Like, the same issues I had with him last season was what I saw in the first, two of the first three throws he made in the first drive in preseason. So, no, I didn't have that. that, Seeing that put me in a very bad place already. Now the Jet defense also looked like a disaster, but that I'm gonna I'm gonna really hold judgment only because I they're they're not giving any defensive looks that probably are what they would normally play. Carl Lawson wasn't out there, so I'm giving the defense a major break. Though I, I was a little surprised how feeble they looked against the Eagles' offense, which I know people are excited about. I don't necessarily think is that they're not the Chargers or the Chiefs or something like that. So. But to see Wilson look like that, yeah, it was it was definitely concerning. And 
even going to the injury. Now, I'm happy he's healthy, but he got injured because of a mistake. You just saw Jalen Hurts get rocked running out of bounds by Quentin Williams, uh, a stupid, Quincy Williams, sorry, a stupid play by Quincy Williams. Uh, if you watch just not all that surprising, unfortunately. If you're Wilson, why are you cutting it upfield? Why are you trying to get extra yards in preseason? Just go down, slide. Like, to me, him even cutting it upfield was him putting himself in more danger. And that, again, goes back to decision-making, which we saw him struggle with last year. Now, I'm someone who came into the year looking at this Jet team and saying, the Jets' win total will all depend on how good Wilson is, quite frankly. And you may say, oh, well, duh, that's how every quarterback is. But I think this is a little different because I think for the first time in a long time, we look at this Jets roster, I don't feel like they're feeble in most of the departments of their of their lineup. Uh, I look at a running back tandem of Brees Hall and Michael Carter, and I have great intrigue. I think Brees Hall is going to be a stud in year one. I think Michael Carter will improve in year two. I don't know why the hell Tevin Coleman was listed ahead of Brees Hall in the first depth chart i don't think that's gonna happen in the regular season but but you know so running back looks decent wide receivers garrett wilson he looked good in that preseason game and he's looked he great, in, great camp. in camp yes um, um Corey, Corey davis. davis you hope he has a better second year but we know he's at least a professional which just have not had a receiver um he's guys not dropping the ball which he did a lot last year but you know he can play elijah moore we know that kid's a stud and even braxton Berrios can play so, okay, receivers, which have been a, a just a terrible position for the Jets for the last five, six years. Actually looks pretty decent. Tight end, another feeble position for the Jets. For now, a decade since Dustin Keller was playing the position. You got Tyler Conklin, who looks great. CJ Uzama, really solid player. You now you got two tight ends. Okay, so you got two tight ends. The line, another major issue. Well, you go and get Lakin Tomlinson from San Francisco, one of the best guards in football. Makai gets hurt. Unfortunate, but then you get Dwayne Brown to replace him, a, a, a former Pro Bowl left tackle. So, and now Elijah Vera Tucker is going to, uh, you know, it's, it's in year two of his development. So, okay, offensive line, maybe not the best in the NFL, nothing crazy, but now at least it looks respectable. I mean, again, Jets have not had respectable offensive line for years, it feels like. So, you look at the offense, you say, okay, what are they missing? Like, what's the main thing that could could bring them down and i look at it and i say well i don't know what the hell zach wilson is i feel like if i gave aaron Rodgers that that roster he'd win 12 games i really feel that way so with wilson i'm not trying to put like unnecessary expectations on him but where the jets go really to me relies on what his ceiling is for this season and i think the reason why you, we've seen these win totals for the jets or the over and under for the jets i think it was at five and a half last time i checked Apparently, a lot of people were hammering over on that, which I understand because um, I just listed the roster they have. Like, that total, though, is there because I think that Wilson is a major mystery. And there were some good signs we were hearing from camp that he was looking pretty good, which is why I was excited to see him play in the preseason and to see that first drive take place. It was uh, alarming, to say the least. So I don't know, man. In terms of... What happens if Flacco's out there? I'll be honest. I don't think it—I don't know if it really matters in terms of the Jets' win total whenever Wilson comes back. Because Joe Flacco's apparently looked great in training camp. So, I'm not—you know, I have no you know illusions of grandeur about Joe Flacco 
being the Super Bowl MVP quarterback that he was, you know, years ago. But Flacco, I think, will probably be respectable. And I know in that first game against Baltimore, he's going to have a lot to prove. So I can't imagine he's going to embarrass himself, at least in that game. And from there on, I think we'll just see. I, I don't know. I can't say for a fact at this point that I know Wilson will be way better than Joe Flacco. I would have said that before I saw that first drive, but now I'm questioning that. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely not. It's definitely not a good start, not where you want to be. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think you guys, I think, I think it will be, I think the Jets will be in, in, in. I think they'll be in okay shape when it comes to when it comes to Flacco running the offense for for week one, um, at the very least. And um, like you said, they have a lot of pieces. You know, a lot of young pieces too that are young, developing. Um, you know, I also saw. I also thought Sauce looked okay as well yeah, on did. defense. Yeah, he it, did. You know, like he didn't give up any kind of big plays or anything like that. For you know, from what I saw, so. I mean, we'll see what happens. I mean, I mean, the Jets can win some games. For me, it's just if they can win some games, if they can get like you know five games, six games. That's a good season. I think that's a win for 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 for, for Jets fans. So uh, so yeah, that, that's kind of what I'm looking at. And it's funny you say that because I, I know a lot of people say the same thing, but I'll be honest, I I don't think people, I I don't think Jets fans will be happy with five wins. Whether that's fair or not, I, I don't know what to say, but. I don't think I think Jet fans look at this team and say, "Oh, there's a chance we can really compete," and I think they want at least eight eight wins. I would say, like I was surprised because I feel that I, that's how I feel. To me, my thing is like, so give me. I don't know necessarily if I need a, like a million wins, but I just need competitive football. Like I need to see a team that goes out there that can punch people in the mouth, that can actually make big plays and be a threat. Like, I have not seen that from Jets football for now. Again, it feels like 10 years. So my thing was, like, okay, if that results in six wins, like, I'm not going crazy about that. Because I'm not, I'm not necessarily expecting this team to be some big playoff team. But I think for Jets fans, again, they look at this roster. I don't even listen to the offense. But the defense also massively improved. I mean, Jets had what, an all-time bad defense last year. But then when you come in this season, you bring back Carl Lawson, who was out last year with the injuries. You draft Sauce Gardner, you bring in DJ Reed, Whitehead, and Joyner, who didn't play much last year. Now your secondary is revamped. Your front four is revamped with Lawson. The linebacking core, I think a lot of people may say, okay, there might be an issue still. But at least with the front four and the back four, you should look look at a spot that maybe looked like a weakness and say, hey, these are now strengths of the team. I think there is a lot of excitement that this team could go much further than what we've seen. So I agree. I think that like if they get six wins, like and they look much more competitive, like I'm totally fine with that. But I'm not sure if the fans will feel that way. Yeah, I mean, if the, if they if if Zach Wilson leads them to eight eight or more wins, I think he's missed. I think he's Mister New York. You yeah, know? he's the guy. He's Mister New York at that point. Yeah, he's the guy. I totally agree with that. I think to me, like. That kind of season, you you feel okay. He's the franchise quarterback. Even no, if I mean, it's a, even if it's if he puts up stats like what what Hurts did last year, he's still missing New York. Yeah, because of the, what the Jets have have done again for the past ten years. I mean, they had one good year with Fitzpatrick where he won ten games, but they missed the playoffs. But besides that, there's just been misery. So right. if they really look like they're going in the next in the in the in the, in the right direction, uh, that would be that would be 
that would be a great great thing for them um and a great thing for just fans obviously so uh let's round out today's show talking about college football so we are closing in on week zero of the college football season with teams like nebraska northwestern florida state and north carolina seeing their first action next saturday and a full slate of games scheduled for the following weekend and now a select 25 teams will have numbers next to their names on the schedule as the preseason ap poll was released this week alabama comes in at number one followed by ohio state Georgia, Clemson, and Notre Dame rounding out the top five. Other notable points in the poll include Utah as the highest rated Pac-12 team at number seven. Last season's semifinalists in the college football playoff, Michigan coming in at eight. And two schools led by new big hires, USC with uh, Lincoln Riley, Miami with Mario Cristobal. Both teams come in at 14 for USC and 16 for Miami. It was also interesting to see some non-top 25 uh, staples make it into the top 25 preseason poll. So you had NC State, Wake Forest, Kentucky, and Houston all turn up in the ranking. So, Sham, let's start with Alabama. Do you feel like they deserve the top ranking in your eyes? Shamar, you might be muted. I don't know if you heard me. Oh, sorry there about you that. Go. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Um, so Alabama, I mean, it's kind of the same thing with, with Alabama. Um, it's kind of the same thing with Alabama, like every year, you know, they have a lot of, uh, they have a lot of the same, a lot of, they're bringing in, well, they lost a lot of guys, of course, as they do every year, but they still have a lot of, (laughs) a lot of great players, you know, they're, you're bringing in, um, guys from the transfer, transfer portal. And I mean, you have Bryce Young, who, could be the I mean he was the he's a Heisman he's a reigning Heisman trophy winner. So I mean it's very hard to argue to argue against um Alabama this year. Um and I'd argue even their team last year was not as strong as teams in previous years, yet they still made it to the national championship and almost won. So um so it's kinda of hard to argue and Georgia lost you know, a ton of guys uh, on their defense, of course, uh, to the NFL. So, and even then, they're still in the top five. So it's hard to argue. So, I, so I'm cool with Alabama being number one, even though I think Ohio State could make a very, very strong case as well. Um, personally, I, I probably like Alabama's number one, but for me, Ohio State's kind of number one in in my eyes. But it, but I'm not going to say that oh, it's bad that Alabama is ranked number one. Just because Ohio State, their receiving room is an NFL receiving room. It's crazy. You know? And they lost guys. And they lost guys. And they're still, their receiving room still looks as good as it ever ever did. Um, So, so yeah, Ohio State to me is really the team to watch. Um, And if if CJ Stroud takes another step, then then at that point he's the guy that he is he's kind of the guy that everyone's looking at um so it's a lot of it is contingent on is um gonna be contingent on his play but but yeah it's hard to argue out against alabama and uh you know again shout out to some of those other teams kentucky which looked good last year um 
you know, of course, I'm, you know, a Florida Gator fan. I feel like Florida should have been on this list, but, you know, I think that'll change over time. Yeah, I think for me, it's funny. I think we're both really high on Ohio State. I don't have a problem with Alabama being number one. I won't, I won't go as far as to say I think they should have been uh, number two because I think we, again, we both really are high on um, Ohio State only because I think that when you look at college football this season, and I know that football is way more than a you know two team two person sport or whatever, like that, but I still feel like Young and Anderson are probably the best players in college football. Stroud, you could kind of throw in there, and he's maybe he's, maybe he splits them at number two. Um, so maybe there's that, but I think when you look at Alabama and the guys they're bringing back, combined with uh, the guys they have coming in, who you know. They may not have played a lot of football, but they're high-end recruits, guys who will come in and, and, and they won't miss a beat. I think there's a reason why people are very excited. I think especially when it comes to Alabama's defense because the defense is bringing back uh, Young, is bringing back Anderson, Henry Tua Teo Teo, uh, another uh, just stud linebacker. Secondary is bringing guys back. I mean, they're loaded on defense. And they have just enough offense. I know some of the skill players. That's, I think, maybe the reason why I think you and I are probably really high on Ohio State because we have a better idea of what to expect from Ohio State skill players. Like, we know what Trayvon Henderson is. We know what uh, Gigba Smith is. Like, we know what these guys are. And, of course, we know what Stroud is. So that's, like, the major difference between these two teams. And some of that excitement for Ohio State probably lends itself towards that. Ohio State also has an excellent offensive line. Um Alabama has a good line too, but they have they are replacing some guys this year, so that'll be something to note. But when it comes to just this ranking uh, as a whole, Utah deserves to be in the top ten, and definitely I think deserves to be seven. But I think that they're going to be a very interesting team to watch because I don't think that a lot of people really have a lot of um, respect, quite frankly, for the Pac-12, and you know. To some teams in the Pac-12 don't have that respect for it because they're leaving, like USC and UCLA. But we saw what Utah did in that game against Ohio State, and they kind of manhandled Ohio State for a lot of that game until Stroud and company made that comeback. That comeback. Mm-hmm. I think people will look at them, and if they go undefeated in a Pac-12 that is decent, but, I mean, I even look at this ranking, and, you know, Oregon is 11. They got a new coach um, in, in, in Lanning. And they're starting Bo Nix at quarterback. I don't know what to think of Bo Nix at this point in his uh, college career. Um, I I think that they might be a little overrated. Uh, SC has some big names that have come in through the transfer portal, but will there be a learning curve for them in the conference? And that's it in terms of people ranked in the Pac-12. So when you look at Utah and you see some of these other schools that they may be competing with for a spot in the playoff, like, you know, we mentioned Alabama, obviously, but if you're Georgia, like, even if you don't have to play against Alabama, like, what if you're playing against a Texas A&M? What if you're playing against one of these other um, teams in the SEC? We know it's a very difficult conference. Uh, they go on the road against Kentucky this year. Kentucky, I think, might be one of the most underrated teams in all college football. I was happy to see them in uh, the top 20. Uh, Will Levis put up some really good numbers last year. They also got uh, Rodriguez, a running back. Is one of the best running backs in the SEC and in college football. They they got 
they got a squad and they got a lot of young players. Like they 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 they're, re, they're about to yeah. reap benefits on some really historic recruiting classes that Kentucky and Mark Stoops has been putting together. And this is really kind of the year we're going to see those guys really play, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So, like, they're at 20, but I think they're, like, one of the biggest wild cards. Like, could they – they won 10 games last year. Could they win 10 or 11 again this year? Absolutely. Um, but then on the flip side, again, some of these young players we have to see come up on offense and on defense. We have to see them actually play up to their recruiting stars. So, uh, those teams in the SEC, they could beat up on each other. You know, those teams in the Big Ten – they might, you know, beat up on each other. Like, you know, you got Ohio State. We mentioned Michigan's in, in at number eight. Um, Wisconsin's in the top 25. And teams that weren't ranked. You know, teams like Iowa, who had a good year last year. Teams like Penn State, who had a good year. There's people excited about Minnesota. So, I look at Utah, and I even look at some of those teams in the Big 12, like Oklahoma and Baylor, and say, you know, you know Oklahoma had a lot of turmoil this offseason, but still a talented roster. Could they turn it around and sink their way in because there's not going to be as much competition in a weaker Big 12 than some of these other teams having to play in the SEC and the Big 10. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I mean, there's a lot of different, a lot of different storylines that I'm going to be watching um, when it comes to this, uh, when it comes to this, um, this college football season. Um, I know you mentioned USC, they're a, they're a big wild card to me. I feel like it's a lot of these teams, quite frankly, just jump up in these rankings. USC could jump up to the top three. You know, I mean, they could be better than Georgia, better than Notre Dame. They're just, <laughs> I mean, I that's yeah, what that's I personally that's what I personally believe. Like, I I think they have the talent, particularly. Um, you know, I mean, Bo Nix is kind of a wild card. I don't know. Um, I mean, he had a great freshman year, but since then he's kind of been very erratic. So I don't really know what to expect from Oregon. Um, uh, Michigan State's kind of kind of a wild card as well. I mean, they lost Kenneth Walker, so that's going to hurt them. Yeah. So I don't know. It's it's a lot. It's it's it, I think I think it's just going to be very interesting to kind of track where a lot of teams uh, where a lot of these teams go. Um, you know, and. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be fun to see. I think I I don't think there's going to be too many shakeups in at the very very top, except for potentially with USC. Um, but it'll be it's definitely going to be interesting to watch. It will be it interesting. Will be interesting. I, think I think one one of the other teams to think about um, for me, and it's a team that you know, I watched closely last year because I watched the ACC and I was. Uh, intrigued to see them get a lot of respect in this poll because there's been excitement about them in a lot of the preseason magazines too was NC State um, NC State had a really strong year last year and uh, their quarterback Leary is one of the best returning quarterbacks in all of college football and they gave them a lot of respect by putting them in the in the, uh, in the top uh, in the top 15 but I think it might be warranted their whole defense essentially is back this year, which not a lot of teams can say you're bringing you're back bringing everybody, everybody, but they bring back their entire linebacking core. A lot of these guys are taking like their sixth year to return. Um, they're bringing back almost their entire secondary, and they're bringing back their top receivers and most of their linemen, and of course Devin Larry at quarterback. And NC State, you know, we we both obviously caught football for a long time. It feels like NC State has always been kind of like. 
and really in both football and basketball, like this program that cares a lot about sports, but can't seem to get out of their own way. Like they just can't seem to ever break through, get over the hump. Like I don't know if it's like the curse of uh, I don't I, we don't want to say a curse for Jim Favana because he's one of the greatest sports figures we have. But like it just seems like they won that title in basketball, and like like they realized the potential of what NC State could be, and they just have never realized it since. So there's a lot of excitement for NC State. They beat Clemson last year, and in one of the better games of the college football season last year. They got to play him on the road this year, but. Considering Wake Forest, we don't know what's happening with Sam Hartman. I know he has that um, non-football injury that has left him away from the team, and we, you know, we our thoughts are obviously with him. We hope he's okay. We hope we get to see him, but more importantly, we hope that he's just okay as a human. So, the, NC State may have a window here. You know, if they could beat Clemson, the rest of the schedule not all that impressive. Uh, they have a non-conference game against Texas Tech. Texas Tech not supposed to be that great. Um, again, I look at the schedule. I mean, I, I just feel like really the the road game against Clemson on October first is the game for them. But you know, they get Wake Forest at home. They end the year again again at North Carolina. But there's a chance for NC State to have a special season this year. And people may have looked at the loss of uh, Iquanu and thought, well, okay, we can kind of put them aside. But, no, they still got a lot of guys coming back. They got a really talented roster. So they're going to be, I think, an important team to look at as well. Um, yeah, 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 that yeah, that will be interesting to see. Um, yeah, it's – yeah, this is gonna be this is gonna be fun. This is gonna be really, really interesting, man. I mean, I'm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, and and, and I'm also interested to see how these how these conferences shape up as well. I feel like the SEC is gonna be even more competitive this year. Um, it's I, I don't think it'll be quite as top heavy with Alabama and Georgia. Um, so I think that'll be fun. Um, I think the ACC is going to be going to be uh, more fun to watch this year. I think it's just going to be just a better. I think it's just going to be a better year. Honestly, it's going to be much more competitive. I feel like the ACC <laughs> might low key be one of the best conferences to watch. I think that there's a lot more parity in the ACC than there's been in recent years. Of course, Clemson did not yeah. win the ACC last year, and they are ranked in top four here. But I think there are a lot of are still a lot of questions about how good Clemson actually is for this upcoming season. So, we yeah. got Clemson question marks. Uh, you got um, Miami with Mario Cristobal coming yep. in, and uh, Tyler Van Dyke playing QB. He had one of the best. He's one of the best returning quarterbacks in college football this year. I mentioned the excitement for NC State. I mentioned Wake Forest, who had a great season last year and one of the most high-powered offenses in all college football last year. Um, they're not necessarily the same names you expect to hear. You know, Pitt. Pitt's an interesting team. You know, they lost Addison, of, you know, in that bizarre situation with that whole transfer portal stuff. Um, and they obviously lost Kenny Pickett. But Pitt is also returning a lot of guys this year, and the excitement about them, they got ranked in the top 25. So you got Pitt, Miami, Clemson, NC State, Wake Forest, and there's plenty of other teams, you know, who may make a run that we're not expecting. You know, does someone like you know, Florida State make a make a run. Does a North Carolina make a run in a season? I think Mac Brown is kind of put up or shut up at this point. He has a lot of defensive players coming back this year. Uh, 
ACC, I think, is low key uh, a conference to watch. There are a lot of teams that think mm-hmm. they have a chance to be really good, and then there are a lot of coaches who I feel like kind of have to do something. <laughs> like yes. Dino Babers at like Syracuse, they gotta do something. I mentioned Florida State, uh, Mike Norvell, they gotta do something. So <laughs> there's urgency everywhere. So that you know, we usually see that kind of urgency over the only in the, in the SEC, uh, with, with combined with that kind of parity. I think you kind of see that on a smaller scale in the ACC. Obviously, the talent is maybe not as good, but but I think for a competitive, fun conference to follow, I think that it will be. Real quickly before we got here, Shan, what do you think of your Florida Gators? They were not ranked here. They did get some some votes, uh, but they did not get ranked. Were you surprised or disappointed in that by any way? I was a little surprised. Um, yeah, I mean, I was I was a little surprised. Um, I mean, I think we'll do better than BYU. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, um, so I think it gets to a point where it's like, where do we start looking at? Because uh, I don't know. I, I can't I really can't say what our record would be. It could kind of be all over the place. It could be really good. It could be not as good. It's really it's, uh, you know, um, Anthony Richardson is such a wild card. I don't I have no idea what to expect. He could be Team Tebow. And he could not be. He could just be another guy. So I don't know. Um, he yeah. was a very, very much a mixed bag um, in terms of the sample size. But, but I also think we do have talent. You know, I don't think we're we're not devoid of, of just talent around the ball. Um, so I don't know. So it'll it'll be uh, you know. I, but but it's it to me it's a shock. I would admit, I would be. I will I will say I think I'd be a little shocked. If because Richardson, I think I'm pretty certain he's going to be better than Emory Jones was last year. So I'd be a little shocked if we weren't in the top 25 uh, by the end of the year. I think I think I'm I think we will be, you know, I, I don't think there's any way that that like a, a BYU or or like a, a Houston keeps us out of the top 25 considering the level of competition that we're facing all year. Uh so that's 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 my prediction. I think we're being underrated. I think we still have a lot of talent. Mm, okay, Jamari's excited about his Gators. You know, you know Billy Napier. It's been very weird from a distance to kind of follow the Florida fan experience with Billy Napier. Like I feel like he's had some recruiting losses that have really upset people, but he's also had some pretty good recruiting wins as well. Um, and I really like what I've heard in terms of him trying to modernize the Florida just program like it was kind of crazy to hear how like the kind of condition dan mullins left florida in like it's insane to me because he was there when urban was there and they were great so like when they hired him it seemed like just an easy slam dunk obvious win for florida because he knew what it took to get florida to play at a high level and it almost seemed like he kind of was like well look and in mississippi state i had half the resources then so let's just you know i don't need all that crap and like it's like oh no you actually do dude <laughs> um so i think what we're saying with billy napier and his his attention to detail with kind of building the program up from scratch has been fascinating like i feel like they have a lot of comparison to him and crystal ball and look as a miami fan and some of the recruiting wins they've had over florida it's been fun to you know have the jokes about mario throwing uh throwing uh <laughs> napier in the locker but in many ways i think they have different jobs like, I feel like Chris Ball is coming in with, like, a lot of money and backing and a program that 
was not doing well, but, like, was moving in the right direction in terms of, like, all that stuff when it comes to, like, being modernized in terms of the stuff under Manny Diaz, where Napier's coming into a program that was going backwards. So, like, they're almost different jobs. So it's kind of hard to even compare them. So what Napier has been doing early on to modernize Florida football and modernize how they prepare and modernize how the team is operates is very important. Like Diaz was doing a lot of that stuff for Miami already. A lot of it, I think was more kind of fine tuning things. I feel like with Mario Cristobal and then really bringing in real money to really back what Mario, what really Manny was trying to do Uh, with Florida. It's totally different job. So it is interesting to see what's going on over there, Florida. They were not ranked, um, but they have a quarterback in Anthony Richardson who was highly, highly touted coming out of high school and has some really impressive physical tools. It's just a matter of can he put it all together. And that's been the question about a lot of uh, Florida quarterbacks they've had really, honestly, you know, besides uh, Trask, um, really since they had Tebow, you know. So, yeah, um, we're going to be talking plenty of college football this year. But I got to thank Shamari for joining me on the podcast today. Shamari, it was a pleasure having you, bud. Absolutely. Glad to be here. You'll be seeing me and hearing from me uh, more often uh, during this uh, this football season in particular. Of course, you know, Kendall uh, preoccupied, so I'll be happy to fill in and uh, looking forward to doing some more shows with you. Absolutely. It's going to be a great season and that's going to do it for this edition of New Generation Sports Talk. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed talking to you guys. Of course, if you enjoyed this show, make sure to check out all the shows on New Generation Podcast Network on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Also, check us out on YouTube. We're on New Generation Media. I know we haven't done too much, but during the summer, I think we took a little break. You'll be seeing plenty of YouTube content coming up there as well, so make sure you keep your eyes out on that. Um, and also, make sure you follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, New Generation Pod, Instagram, New Generation Podcast, and Facebook, New Generation Media. You can find me on Twitter, EJ underscore Stewart. Instagram, Action EJ. Shamari can be found on uh, Instagram and Snapchat, MCShan22. That'll do it for now. For Shamari, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.